I don't know about all of you. Maybe, uh, maybe you're really like enjoying the abnormal atmosphere that we are all living in. I am not. Uh, I, I've been thinking a lot lately about just what it means. Like, what does the word normal mean anymore? And thinking a lot about that word, I think most of us, maybe not you, but I think most of us want to feel like life is normal again, right? Now, probably not the guys that like walking around with like the full-on gas mask. Like they, they're like, yes, everyone's finally on board with the gas mask. I finally feel normal. They're not normal, right? They're still weird. But uh, I've, been thinking, I, I've been thinking a lot about how we define normal in our lives. I think the last six or seven months has taught me one of the things is that normal, defining normal for me means, it needs to mean that uh, my schedule needs to have more flexibility in it, uh, that it's not so full to the point where there's no margin. I think over the last six, seven months, uh, God has pressed in on my heart uh, with, with that. I think that uh, one of the things that I've been learning about about when it comes to normal in the last six, seven months is that our standard for normal really should be gathering together in person to, to fellowship and to worship. And it's not that I'm not thankful for technology. I am. I'm thankful that the technology has made it possible for uh, us to reach into families and homes and people's lives in a way that maybe we couldn't otherwise. So I'm thankful that we're able to do that that we can reach outside of the walls of this building. But you know, being together is just better. It just is better. It's, it's what we should see as normal. And it's not, it's not just because obedience to God should be normal. It's because the value of community is what the follower of Jesus Christ should see as normal. And so God's impressing that into my life as well. And so I'm just kind of curious, as I think about normal, I, I wonder what you've been learning. I hope you've been learning some things uh, over the last six, seven months about life and about, about yourself, about your family, about your relationship with God. I'm sure that most of us do want to feel normal again, but I have a deep thought question. I know it's early, and some of you maybe didn't have as much coffee as you need for this question, I don't know, but... A deep thought question is why? Why do you want life to go back to some standard of normal? What is creating that desire for you personally? And I, I think as I look back over the last six months, what I have learned about myself is this. There are a lot of desires uh, for normalcy, that I have that I, could, uh, that I could trace back to just, quite honestly, selfishness. I want a certain standard of normal because what I'm experiencing is uncomfortable. I want a certain standard of normalcy because what I'm experiencing is frustrating to me. And so the desire for normal, in a lot of cases, is just, quite frankly, selfish. I want this for me. I don't like the way this is or that is. But God's been pressing more and more onto my heart 
that I need to also have a desire for normalcy, not just for selfish reasons, but for selfless reasons. For example, one of the reasons I, I want things to get more back to a sense of normalcy has to do with just connecting with people. You know, for the last six, seven months, uh, I haven't been able to visit hospitals and nursing homes and rehab centers. And it's just recently, like very recently, I've been allowed to go into hospitals to visit with people. And I want that normal back because I have, I have missed uh, what it what it uh, means to be in those moments with people. It's not that phone calls and you know, FaceTime meetings are bad or wrong. It's just being in those moments with people is better. Being able to uh, touch someone and, and put your hand on their shoulder and pray with them, is just, it's just better. It's just better. And so the abnormality of the past six months has pressed heavy on my heart a desire to get back to some sense of normalcy where I can be where people are in those moments. And so it's caused me to think more about why I want normal. And I'd like you to think about that. Why do we want life back to normal again? Are all of our reasons selfish? A lot of them are. Let's just be honest with each other. A lot of them are self-centered. And I think that is, in and of itself, normal. We want things to be comfortable. We want things uh, to have some sense of uh, um, this is the way things should be or the way we would like them to be. But I wonder if God has been revealing to you some selfless reasons over the past six months to desire more of a normalcy, or what, what should that standard of normalcy even be? Jesus said this, it's up on the screen, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves to take up their cross and follow me. You want to be a disciple of Jesus, he said you've got to be willing to deny yourself, take up your cross, which is a, a, an image of sa- uh, self-sacrifice, Right? We're not literally taking up a physical cross to die for anyone's sins like Jesus did. It's an image of us being willing to self-sacrifice for the sake of others. That's the whole point of taking up your cross and following Jesus. And our culture is so self-centered. And I think we're impacted by that as believers. I think uh, that we maybe are even impacted in ways that we, don't, that we aren't even always aware of, of the self-centeredness in our culture. But Jesus calls His followers to deny themselves and to live selfless lives. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to we're gonna challenge ourselves to be more selfless in our desires, to be more selfless in in our priorities, to be more selfless in our life choices. And what I'd like to do this morning is start with an area of our lives that I think a lot of us struggle to be selfless in. And that's being uh, bold in sharing our faith. Being bold in sharing our faith is something that a lot of people, a lot of Christians struggle to be selfless in. 
you would open your Bibles with me to John chapter 20, I'm going to start in verse 19. And while you're finding that, let me give you the context to what you're about to read. John 20, 19, Jesus had been with his disciples for three years. They saw him heal the sick. They saw him give sight to the blind. They saw him raise people from the dead. And all along the way, Jesus had been telling them that he was going to have to die. That he would uh, come back to life after three days, but he, he kept telling them that he was going to go away, that he was going to have to die, and they didn't want to hear that. They didn't understand at the time why he had to die. They didn't get that big picture at the time. But that's what happened. Jesus was brutally tortured. He, he was crucified on a cross, and we now know that that was for the, the substitute payment for our sin. But what they experienced, what they saw in the moment was, our friend, our master, our leader is dead, and now he's in a tomb. But Jesus told them what was going to happen before it happened. And he didn't just tell them he was going to die. He told them he was going to come back to life, right? He told them these things before it happened. And so you might expect the disciples throughout that weekend to be out preaching. They, you would expect maybe for them to go out and say, he's coming back. He's, he's going to come back to life. He, he told us that he was, that he was going to rise from the dead. Get ready. He's coming back. That's not what they were doing over the weekend. In John 20, 19, we see what they were doing. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. They were hiding. They weren't out there preaching, He's coming back, He's going to rise from the dead. He told us that He would. No, they're hiding behind locked doors. Why? Because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. What were they afraid was going to happen? Well, they were afraid they were going to get arrested. They were afraid that they were going to get put in jail or worse, executed. I don't know how bold you might see yourself when it comes to sharing your faith with others, but... If we could just think about some of the things that hold Christians back from sharing their faith, that's probably top of the list is fear. And, and maybe it's fear of rejection. Maybe it is, it is fear of being ridiculed or made fun of. I think I've heard this one a lot. There, there are people who, who are not bold in sharing their faith because they're afraid that they don't know enough. I, I don't know if I would know the answers to people's questions. I don't think I know enough. Well, I'll ask you this question. I'm just going to push back on you. If that's, if that's where you're at, if you're like, yeah, I don't share my faith. I'm not real bold because I don't think I know enough. I'm going to push back on you and just ask you this. Do you know enough about the gospel to know that you needed to repent of your sin? Do you know enough about the gospel to know that you needed to trust Jesus Christ his death on the cross, the power of His resurrection to forgive you of a sin, to make you right with God, to give you eternal life. Do you know that much about the gospel? Well, if you say you're a Christian, you need to know that much about the gospel, right? 
So if you know and understand the gospel enough to believe it for yourself, then why would you think that you don't know enough about the gospel to share that what you say you believe with someone else? So either you don't really understand the gospel for yourself, or or it's possible maybe you don't really care enough about the people around you who are going to die without Jesus and spend eternity in hell. Right? It, It may be that you have a very selfish view of the gospel. You're like, whoo, glad I'm not going to hell. And that's as far as it goes for you. But that's not what we're called to as followers of Jesus. We've been called to a selfless view of the gospel that says, you know what? I'm a little bit uncomfortable. I'm a little bit afraid that my friend will make fun of me, that my family member will reject me, that my coworkers won't want to eat lunch with me anymore, uh, that, I, that I will feel foolish if I don't know the answer to a hard question about the Bible or some mystery about God. And that makes me uncomfortable. It makes me a little uneasy. I'm a little afraid of that. But I am more afraid of missing an opportunity to share the gospel with this person And then they will die and be separated from God forever. I'm more afraid of that than I am of feeling uncomfortable. See, that is a selfless view of the gospel. Sharing our faith is selfless because it puts the other person above our own selfish desire to avoid feeling uncomfortable. You go back to the disciples, here they are, they're they're hiding behind locked doors, they're afraid of what might happen to them, and then something changes, something happens that changes them. It says in the rest of verse 19, suddenly Jesus was standing there among them, and what does he say? Peace be with you. Here they are, they're hiding, they're afraid, but Jesus, Jesus appears and His message is peace. His message is confidence. His message is courage. These guys are transformed. From that moment on, these guys were transformed from from timid to unafraid, from, uh, from being selfish to selfless. The next thing that we see in the book of Acts, we see Peter boldly preaching the gospel message to this huge crowd. 3,000 plus people come to know Jesus as their Savior. They get baptized. It's incredible. Look at Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, We see Peter and John, and they were, in chapter 3, they were boldly preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way that they got people's attention to listen to the gospel in the beginning of of chapter 3, there's this guy who can't walk, and he's there by the temple, and through the power of Jesus, uh, they, they perform a miracle, and this guy can walk again. They have people's attention, and they start to share the gospel. Well, in chapter Four, it says, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they are confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, the, 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 the Sadducees. These are the same people they were afraid of back in John 20. 
And, and, and they confronted them, and it says that these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. And what did they do? They arrested them. The very thing that they were afraid was going to happen, happened. And it was already evening. They put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard the message believed it because uh, they pushed past their fear and they were bold in their faith. People came to know Jesus as their Savior. The number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men. It didn't count the women and the children in that number. The next day, this council, these rulers, the elders, these teachers, they, they met. They brought the two disciples and they demanded, listen to this, by what power in whose name have you done this? Done what? You healed this guy. We know him. He's been here for years. He can't walk and now he can how did you do that? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, we are, being quest- are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. And he doesn't stop there. You want to talk about bold? Listen to this. The man that you crucified. God raised him from the dead. Jesus is the one referred to in the scripture where it says, The stone that you builders rejected and now has become the cornerstone. There's not salvation found in anyone else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And it's like a mic drop. Boom. You want to talk about boldness. He doesn't just say, yeah, we did that in the power of Jesus. He goes on to say, yeah, the guy that you murdered, that God raised from the dead, is alive. And he's the one giving us power to do miracles like this. It's bold. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that these were ordinary men, no special training in the Scriptures. They recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. What do we see in these guys? We see boldness. In John 20, they're hiding behind locked doors, trembling, hoping no one finds them. In Acts chapter 4, we see this incredible boldness in their faith. And people were amazed. Can I ask you a tough question? I don't expect you to answer out loud. I don't even expect you to whisper it to your neighbor. But I'm just going to ask you, if you would, to be honest with this tough question. How amazed are people by your boldness in sharing your faith? Like if we had a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being completely unamazed, unimpressed, like they don't have a clue that you even know Jesus, Ten, really amazed, like Acts chapter 4, boldness kind of amazement. Like, these guys, this lady is incredible. So bold in sharing his faith or her faith. Where would you put yourself on this boldness scale? And you're like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to rate myself. Let me help you. You are, you are closer to the 10 
if you're not sitting alone this morning in the sense that you, you, you invited someone and, and uh, they came to church and you're sitting with that person. You're closer to that 10 if you have been praying every single day for this friend, for this family member, for this coworker that needs Jesus, and every day you're praying that God would, would soften their heart towards Jesus. You've been intentionally building relationships with them. You've been, you've been watching for opportunities to share your faith in Jesus with them. They can see the love and the, and the power of Jesus in your life. They've got no doubt that you are a follower of Jesus. They can see it in the way you live your life. They can hear it in the things that you talk about. Right? You're closer to the 10. People are amazed about your boldness in sharing your faith and living your faith. You're closer to the, to the one if you cannot remember the last time that you prayed for someone's salvation, for the soul of another person. Like you, maybe you've never done that. You can't remember the last time. Like, it's not that you don't pray, right? You pray about all kinds of things for yourself and about Aunt Gertrude's bunions on her feet or whatever. You pray about things. But you can't remember the last time that you prayed that this person's heart would be broken and that they would trust Jesus as their Savior and their life would be transformed. You've never asked someone to come to church with you. People uh, that you work with don't even know you're a Christian, right? You're closer to to the one. So I don't know. I don't know where you would rate yourself there on the boldness scale, but I want to say this. Let's say you're you're farther toward the one than you want to be, and you're about to give yourself a pass and say, listen, that just it's not because I don't love Jesus, it's just because I'm not a bold person. You might not be a boisterous person. You might not be an obnoxious person. You might not be a very outgoing person. But I want to, I want to kind of reset your thinking on that. You don't have to be obnoxious and loud, and you don't have to be a super outgoing person to be bold in your faith. Pastor Craig Rochelle puts it this way, we all speak boldly about what we believe deeply, and that's absolutely true. You talk about things, and you talk about the things that matter to you. You talk about the things that, uh, that you believe in deeply. You do. We all do. I'm, uh, in, in, in my natural personality, in a group of people I don't know, I'm less uh, anxious to, to be bold. I'm less anxious uh, to stand out in a crowd. So I get that. But here's something I've noticed, not only about myself, but I've noticed this about people that I try to engage with. Because I because I can relate to that when I'm in a group of people like this, where I do feel more comfortable, I can, I can pick up on those who maybe are a little more shy, those who maybe uh, have a hard time uh, just being themselves, perhaps, or being outgoing. I get that. I can relate to it. And so I try really hard to engage people who are less outgoing. And what I have discovered about myself, what I have discovered about people that are less outgoing is this. All you have to do is find out what they're passionate about. That's it. Just find out what they're passionate about and the floodgates open up. 
It could be about cars. It could be about guns. It could be about essential oils. It could be about cooking. I'm telling you, whatever it is that they are passionate about, whatever it is that they are into and that matters to them, you just got to find out what that is. And that conversation is off and running. Why is that? Because we all speak boldly about what we believe about deeply, about what we're passionate about. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is this, do I speak boldly about Jesus? And if the answer to that question is no, then we have to follow up with asking ourselves, well, then what does that say about what I really believe deeply about Jesus? And maybe that question makes you uncomfortable, okay? Maybe you don't like where you are on that boldness scale and and you want to do something about it. You want to move yourself from wherever you are closer to the 10. But how do we do that? How do we grow in boldness? I want to give you two simple ways that every one of us can grow in our boldness, no matter where you find yourself on that scale. We can grow in our boldness in sharing our faith. Here's the first one. We see it in that verse 13 of chapter 4. Let me read it to you again. The members of the council were amazed. That's what we want to be, right? We want to be closer to the 10 when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Watch this. They could see that they were ordinary men, no special training in Scripture. It's not like they were superheroes, just ordinary people. They recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. The first thing that we can all do to grow in our boldness is spend more time with Jesus. Look, who was was God using? It was just ordinary, regular, unschooled people. In fact, these were the same guys who were hiding behind locked doors not that long ago before this. Just ordinary people. And that's who God loves to use, ordinary, regular people. You don't have to have a fancy title. You don't have to have a seminary degree to be used by God. Can God use folks who have more education in their background? Yeah, absolutely. Can God use those who, who have uh, maybe more formal training in doctrine or theology? Sure. But what God is looking for are those who are selfless. Selfish people, whether you are educated or not educated, selfless people, they're not interested in being used by God. They're interested in doing their thing, right? You might have this amazing outgoing personality or you might be shy. doesn't matter. Either way, if you are selfless, God can and will use you. Selfish people don't have time or interest in being used by God. Selfless people do, and God will use you. So how do we become more selfless? Well, it was pretty obvious to everyone that the disciples had spent time with Jesus. Why was it obvious? Because they were just like Him. They were just like Him. Right? They just spent all this time scratching their heads and, and, and having these meetings. And How are we going to get rid of this Jesus? They were so frustrated with him that they killed him. And now you've got Peter and John running around. These guys are the same. We thought we got rid of Jesus, but they're the same. 
That's how they knew they had spent time with Jesus. They were just like him. You know, we had this, we had this tremendous tendency to become like the people we spend time with. Parents know this, right? It's why we are so careful, at least we should be, about who our children are spending time with. Because we know the tendency that we become like those that we spend time with. Well, Jesus was selfless. So spend more time with Jesus, become more selfless. Become more selfless, become more bold in sharing your faith. I know it can be really easy to skip that quiet time with God because we get up in the morning, we have our routine. You know, you get into your day, you've got a lot of things that you want to get accomplished, and it's just so tempting to just rip into that and skip spending time with God. It's so easy to become spiritually distracted by all the things that the world offers us. It's so easy to become consumed with social media or politics or sports or our own lives and our schedules. And when we do that, what happens is we move towards becoming spiritually apathetic. We move towards self-centeredness. But if we want to grow in boldness, we have to be growing in selflessness. And if you want to become more selfless, you've got to spend time with Jesus. Make time to spend with Him in prayer and, and, and reading His Word, whether it's through just reading through the Bible or whether you use a devotional or you have that family time maybe with your spouse or your kids. You find time and we have grace groups. All of these things are so important for us spending time with Jesus. If you believe that spending time with Jesus is deeply important, then you're going to speak boldly about it. Because we just speak boldly about what we believe deeply. So that's the first thing. Spend more time with Jesus. Here's the second thing. Ask God to make you more bold. Ask God to make you more bold. The religious leaders that these disciples were afraid of back in John chapter 20, that they were hiding behind locked doors from. Those bullies didn't let up, right? They, they threatened them and say, guys, if, if you don't stop this, if you don't quit talking about Jesus, then bad things are going to happen. We're talking about jail. We're talking about torture. We're talking about execution. They kept threatening them. Now, what do you think the disciples prayed for in response to what these religious leaders were saying to them. Would you, exp I mean, what would you pray for? If you were in that same situation, would you pray, Lord, Lord, please keep us safe from harm. Lord, don't let them hurt us. Don't let them put us in jail. Don't let them kill us. Lord, please keep us safe. Lord, please protect us. What did they pray for? Look at verse 29. In verse 29, it says, And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. They pray for boldness, not safety. They didn't pray that the religious leaders would get struck by lightning, that they would stop picking on them, that they wouldn't beat them up or put them in prison. They pray for boldness. Think about all the things that we pray for. They might not be wrong. They might not even uh, be uh, bad things to pray for. 
How often do we, do we pray for God's blessing of safety? Probably a lot. We do. When we travel, we, before we leave the, the driveway, we, we pray together as a family that God would protect us as we travel. We do that. How often do we pray that God would protect us from harm? You know, we, we do as a family at night before when, when, uh, when I pray with my kids. That's one of the things that I pray for, God, that you would protect us from harm throughout the night. You know, bad things can happen at night when, when you're trying to sleep. We pray for that. Lord, don't let anything bad happen to us. That's a pretty common prayer. And I don't know that I would, uh, I would go so far as to recommend that we stop praying prayers like that. I think it's perfectly fine and appropriate to pray that God will protect us as we travel or from bad things in the world. I get that. My question is, how often do we pray for boldness? How often do we pray for boldness that... Okay, maybe I'm not going to be safe. Maybe that I'm, I'm not going to be comfortable, but I just need boldness. I want boldness more than I want safety. I want boldness more than I want comfort. How often do we pray for that boldness? How do we get there? Well, we spend more time with Jesus and we ask God to give us boldness. When we spend more time with Jesus... We learn to deny ourselves. We become more selfless. We will grow in that boldness in sharing our faith. I don't know all of you uh, to the point where I would be able to answer this question for every one of you. There might be someone in the room, maybe someone at home, I don't know, maybe that's like rooting for the gas masks and the social isolation to be forever, right? There might be some of you that are like, yes, this is great. I never have to leave my house again, and if I do, I love the gas mask. Maybe, I don't, maybe that's you. But as we wrestle with what the standard of normal should be, I'm just saying we should take a little deeper look at the why. Because we all have some selfish reasons for wanting certain things to return to a standard of normal or to become some new standard of normal, and the reason is selfish. It's because this is what makes me comfortable. It's because this is what I like. But what if, what if we could have this, this growing selfless desire to see a standard of normal that includes boldness in our faith? Like that was the standard of normal. I'm just bold. That's just my life now. What if, what if we daily reminded ourselves that everyone will live somewhere forever on the other side of this life? Some of us will live with God in eternity, in, in the new heaven and the new earth that Jesus will restore one day, right? That for, for some, that's where they will live forever. But there are others that that won't be their experience on the other side of this life. For others, the reality is they will leave this life separated from God and it will be forever. It will be an existence in eternity of unimaginable pain and loneliness. And maybe, maybe we would be less selfish if we remembered that. Maybe we would be less afraid of, of what might happen if we share our faith and maybe we'll get rejected or maybe we'll get 
made fun of or maybe no one wants to sit with us at lunch. Maybe if we remembered that everyone lives somewhere in eternity, that we would be more selfless and that we would be more afraid of what might happen if we don't share our faith. You and I speak boldly about what we believe deeply. So I'm going to leave you with that question. What do you, what do you believe deeply about Jesus? Jesus.